Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Landon Hargrove. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm the lead pastor here at Oasis City Church. And I'm super excited because we're starting a brand new series called Holy Habits. And we're talking about these small changes that lead to big results. Small changes that lead to big results. And this series really has one goal, so I'm just going to level with you from the beginning. There is one goal for this series, and that's for you to come out on the other side of this with habits that lead you closer to Jesus. That's, that's it. That's the whole reason we're doing this series. It's, it's to make you uh, more like Christ and to come out on the other side closer to Jesus. Because whether we realize it or not, how many of you know we all have habits? Amen? We all have them. We have good habits and we have poor habits. And whether you want to admit it or not, we all got them, right? <laughs> like every single person has habits. We have patterns. We have routines. And if it's a good habit, we really want to maintain it. We want it to grow. If it's a bad habit, we want to get rid of that thing, right? We don't, we don't want to hang on to the bad habit. But it's hard. It's hard to change. How many of you know that it's difficult to, to change? But it's not impossible either, right? It's not impossible either. And so change starts one day, one moment, one decision at a time. And our future selves, who we're going to be, is a result of the compounded effect of these decisions that we make every single day. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about in this uh, particular series. If you think about it, uh, we're, we're really just starting to look at these small habits that if we bring them into our lives, they will transform not only the person that we see in the mirror today, but the person that we want to be tomorrow. And that all comes through our habits. But often uh, we don't start there, do we? We don't start at habits. I think a lot of times we start somewhere else. I heard another pastor point this out. He said that most of the time, we start with just hoping for things to change in our lives. We just hope. We just, we just hope to get out of debt. We just hope to have a better marriage. We hope to be a better friend. We, parents, we hope to be a better father or we hope to be a better mother. We, we hope for these things. We hope to get in better physical shape. We, we hope to read the whole Bible this year. It's like, I'm going to find, this is the year I'm going to do it. We, we, we hope for these things. And hear me, hope is, hope is good. But hope alone won't change your life. Habits will. Habits will change your life. And so hope has to be partnered with habits to create what it is you're hoping for. So I want you to think about this for a moment. What did you do last Thursday morning? You don't remember what you did last Thursday morning? Yeah, I see some nods. Why? Why do you remember that? Because you do the same thing every morning, right? <laughs> like you wake up, come on, 6.30 a.m., you wake up, your head pops off the pillow, turn off your alarm, you get up, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, hopefully, right? Or maybe you did the night before, but I hope you showered at some time. But you, you take your shower, and you get ready, you pour a cup of coffee, maybe you open your words, read the Bible, all right? Maybe, maybe you're like old-fashioned, you like to have the newspaper, right? You sit and you read some articles, maybe you scroll online, read the Wall Street Journal, see what's going on in the world. And then you get ready to go to work. Parents, you know, you're getting ready for your kids. You're like, you know, put on that shirt, that shirt's backwards, those shoes are on the wrong feet, and you know, you're trying to get them ready and send them out the door. And then you get in the car, and you drive to the same place, that you always drive to and you take the same route, the same path that you always take to get there. You have patterns, you have routines. Or maybe, maybe you're like me, you hit the alarm like six times, right? I did that this morning, literally, like six times. It's 6 a.m., I didn't get it until 6.45. My wife's like, why do you do that? Just set the alarm for 6.45. I'm like, because 
I need time to wake up, babe. Like I need, she's like, why should I have to get up when you don't want to get up? And I'm like, well, you know, it's just part of, it's part of my process, okay? It's part of my pattern, right? And so that's not a good habit. Don't do that to your spouse, okay? But, but maybe you're the person who's like, man, maybe you wake up and you scroll Instagram for like your whole morning until you got like five minutes left and then you rush out the door to work. Don't do that either. That's also not a good habit. But you have habits, you have routines, you have processes, and, and they're, the, they're the same, right? Or all of these ideas, though, are simply to illustrate this, that most of what you do is not a result of hope. Most of what you do is a result of your habits. It's the power of habits. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into this idea of holy habits. Everyone say holy. Now say habits. Holy habits. So we're talking about holy habits, habits that the early church had that allowed them to grow in their own private walk with Jesus, to, to grow in their relationship with others, and to grow uh, God's church in their region and in the world, right? That's really my definition for what holy habits are, right? You grow in your walk with Jesus, grow in your relationship with others, uh, grow in your region and eventually the world. Habits that spiritually transformed the believers in the early church. And again, it's this principle of starting small. It's small, consistent change that leads to results over time. We even saw in that powerful illustration, right? Isn't that kind of a cool video of all the dominoes coming down and it's all these small, small dominoes and it knocks over the big one. Why? Because it's the compound effect that happens there. And so we're in this series, we're going to look at the early church. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter two. So if you have your Bible today, go ahead and head there now. If you have a Bible app on your phone, whether it's the version app or Olive Tree Bible, whatever you use, scroll with me, Acts chapter two. Uh, but just some quick background on the book of Acts. The book of Acts was likely written between A.D. 61 and A.D. 64. This book was written by uh, the book, or was written by uh, Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, right? Luke was a doctor, and, and we see him use meticulous detail. The book of Acts really is like a, a history book for the early Christian church, and uh, it tells stories of how the Gospel of Jesus was spread, even in the face of growing opposition and animosity uh, towards the believers and towards uh, people of the way, right, the way of Jesus. And one of the key figures in this book is Saul, who we all know as Paul, right, that, that later um, became he became Paul, right, uh, because he had been converted. Uh, it's really interesting to hear his conversion story. We'll get into that sometime. Uh, but has this radical encounter with Jesus, changes his whole life, right? Everything changes. And now this guy who used to be super anti-Christian, this, this Pharisee of Pharisees, right, persecuting God's church, now this guy is preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus, one of the most prolific uh, pastors, uh, uh, teachers, missionaries. Like he, he was a, a preacher, and it all came from an encounter with Jesus. But it's a wild story because the book of Acts also talks about the disciples, how they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to uh, boldly preach the word. The church grows. They became witnesses uh, of God and just really uh, starts in Jerusalem, but it spreads out to Judea and Samaria and beyond. And so we see that in this book. There's also a section about Paul's. He has, you know, three missionary journeys and Crazy stuff happens to this guy all the time, all right? My man's been stoned, okay? He's been shipwrecked. He's been tossed in prison. All sorts of things happen. Uh, so we get to get some insight into his life. But we're picking up in Acts chapter 2, specifically just after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus is ascended, right? They're waiting on the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2. We see Peter preach this incredible sermon. 3,000 people get added to the church, like, we just read over that. That's 3,000 people that all responded to the gospel, and not only were they saved, but they were baptized. This is an incredible, incredible time 
in the Bible. And so now we're picking up just after this, okay, just after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And I'm reading out of the CSB version. Uh, you can see it on the screens as well if you don't have it, but I hope you have your Bible. Underline this passage. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. Someone say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Would you pray with me this morning, church? Father God, I thank you so much for, yeah, just who you are. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather and to freely worship. It is such a privilege, God, and we, we don't ever want to take it for granted. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and have your way today. Do whatever you want to do. Speak how you want to speak. Transform us from the inside out. Uh, I pray, God, whatever of this message is of me would fall away. Whatever is born of your Holy Spirit, would it resonate in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and would it change us, God? Uh, Lord, we're just so grateful. It is such an honor and such a privilege uh, just to be used by you. And so, God, I pray this morning that all of us, we, we learn from your word, that you would use us however you see fit in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you love God, you say amen. Amen. How many of you are plane people in here? You'd say, hey, like, I don't mind flying. Like, that's, that's fine with me. You like riding in planes? Okay. How many of you are like, I am not jumping in that tin box 35,000 feet above? I'm not a plane person. I'm going to drive. Road trip it all day long, right? Okay, a few of you. Now, you know, here's the deal. Like, I, I know we have several flight attendants here too. Okay, some of our church, just in our church family. We got some flight attendants. We got a couple captains. Come on, somebody, right? The captains in the room. And uh, we, what I learned is, they love this. Like, they're flying every single day, and they put a lot of faith in this box that's flying through the air. And for me, I'm one of the guys that's like, I, I know that I fly quite a bit. Um, it's one of those things, I know it's a part of life, but do I wish there was a less freaky way to travel? You, you betcha. Like, if I could just teleport there, you, you better believe I would, okay? Like, I, I'm not the guy who's like, I love flying. I'm like, no, no, it's a necessary uh, part of, of life. But I can think of all these times, like, where it's like, you know, getting ready to go on a plane and uh, falling asleep on an airplane. Anyone have a hard time sleeping on airplanes? A few of you? All right, I, I can fall asleep on an airplane easy. Here's the problem. I don't get restful sleep, right? <laughs> like, it is discombobulated. Like, you wake up on your, like, neighbor, like, drooling on his shirt. You're like, sorry, bro. Like, you know, it's like stains on him. And, and you're just in this really awkward position, right? Because they're, like, weird. They don't want to wake you up. They're like, oh, look at him. He's so sweet. He's, like, sleeping on his shoulder. But it's like, you know, it's, like, super weird. Do you ever have that where you're like, you know, you're trying to like you rub them off your shoulder. But I always do this thing when I get on the plane. There's a little tray table that's right in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? And you can't undo it because the flight attendant will come after you. But if you leave it up and you just put your hand right here, you can like rest your forehead against the seat in front of you, right, until they like lean it back and, you know, break your neck or something. Um, but I remember I always would do this. And, and Brooke and I were on this flight. And I don't even remember where we were going, but we, we didn't have the kids with us. I knew that. Um, but we were, we were going somewhere, and I, it was tired. It was an early morning, like, red-eye flight, right? And so I'm, like, up early. It's still dark out. My window's open, but it's dark out. And I fall asleep like this with my hand here. And for whatever reason, I go into this kind of, like, lucid kind of dream state where I'm, like, half awake, and I'm kind of half here. And what's happening here is the, the sun begins to rise, and I'm fast asleep dreaming. But in my dream, I start to think 
that the sun rising is the exit door of the plane. And in my dream, I think the exit doors are opening. And Brooke can attest to this. Raise your hand and tell him it's true. I start going, the door, the door. And I'm yelling in the plane, the door. And everyone's looking around at me, like with all the contempt they can muster, like who is this psychopath that they let on the plane who says the exit door is open? And I am just like embarrassed. Like I am, I am, I am red in the face. Brooke's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I was dreaming, I'm sorry, I have a fear, right? Like, you ever seen the movies, like, they get sucked out the door, that's what I'm thinking is about to happen to me. I'm like, you know, just something's going to happen. But flying, I say that because flying is a wild phenomenon, right? Like, it's, it's weird, especially when the flight is longer than an hour. You know, one of the, the longer flights in the U.S. is the flight between New York's JFK and LAX in Los Angeles. And this is the second most popular route in the United States. This flight crosses 2,475 miles across open country from end to end. And listen to this, about 26,286 planes make this five-ish hour flight every single year. 26,000. And every one of these flights is a tiny miracle in precision. Because, because listen to this, if, if the pilot leaving from New York were to miss their heading by just one degree, instead of Los Angeles airport, they would land on Catalina Island if they were off by one degree. Catalina Island is over 40 miles away, and that's just one degree off. So can you pick the picture up there for me? This is kind of an image for you to see over time. It's small, but these small increments over time, you get further and further away. Listen to this. One degree off course means that you are off a mile for every 60 that you travel. Now, planes, people, we can make adjustments mid-flight, right? We can fix our heading. We can swerve around obstacles. We can get back on on course. But, But for a lot of things, it's worth spending the time. It's worth asking, what direction? Where's my heading? Where where am I going in in life. And I think it's worth asking the question, what direction are my habits, my practices, and my daily rhythms taking me in my life? Where are my practices, my rhythms, my habits, where are they, what's the trajectory that I'm on? Where am I going to end up at? Is our heading in the right place? And so we have to ask ourselves these questions. Are my diet and my exercise, are they, are they, are they putting me in a trajectory towards health or towards Disease? Are my financial habits pushing me towards security and generosity and legacy, or are they putting me towards debt, insecurity, and lack? Like, like what's going on? Are my family habits and our rhythms pointing towards a, a connected and united family, or are we pointing towards a family life that's disjointed and distant from each other? But more importantly, are my spiritual habits putting me on a trajectory for a thriving relationship with Jesus, or are they putting me on a trajectory for checking some religious box, saying, I attend church? and living a life of complacency in your walk with Christ? Where are your habits taking you? And these are the questions we have to ask ourselves because for many of us, we have goals, but, but our goals are not aligned with our habits, right? We have a hope, but our habits are not in alignment. We say one thing, but we do another. We say we want to be fit, but we skip the gym. We say we want to be financially secure, but we spend recklessly. We get into these positions where we want to be close with Jesus, but we won't wake up early. We end up on our phone. We scroll Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or pick your social media, and you fill your time with mindless scrolling and empty void rather than diving into the Word. We, we choose our bed over getting up 20 minutes earlier to make that happen. We choose things that are less challenging to us. And this is really something that plagues our culture. We, we, we are a people 
that are so infatuated with comfort. Like if anything is threatening, causing pain, causing discomfort, causing us to have to work, ooh, stay away. Y'all know when it snows, you're hoping, come on, six feet, six, I won't go to work. Six feet, God, send it, Lord, right? Like it's April, you're going, all right, God, if it's gonna snow, it was 80 degrees on Easter. If it's gonna snow, though, you better dump it. Like, like I don't wanna go to work. But, but as why? It's because we have this natural tendency, this, this, this thing that pushes us towards laziness. And so let me just say this. We idolize comfort to the point of being ineffective. That's just, the, that's our culture. We run from challenges. We run from pain. And it's not so much that we, we have no desire, but rather our desire is for the wrong thing. We have a greater desire for comfort and for ease than we do for anything else. And so it's been said time and time again, but I'm going to say it. You've probably heard this before, but you can have comfort or growth, but you can't have both. They, they, they don't go together. And so what we must come to realize is that it may be difficult or uncomfortable. And just because something is difficult, just because something is uncomfortable, does not mean it's wrong. Does not mean that we shouldn't do it. And so we have to get to this place where we realize that these small daily changes will be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean they're unattainable. And if we can learn to, to live these habits and rhythms and patterns in our life, it will bring transformation to your walk with Jesus and your effectiveness for his kingdom here on the earth. And so look at the Bible. It's a, it's a huge book. You ever said this? You look at this thing, it's 66 books in one volume, and you look at it and you're like, that's thousands of pages, Pastor. How am I supposed to read that? I'll tell you how. few pages a day. That's it. Like it, it looks daunting when you hold this book in your hand. You're like, the only book I ever read like that was like, in school, and I didn't want to, you know, and you didn't even really read it. You're just going like this, you know, scanning over it, and you're looking up the cliff notes, okay? I see you. I know you're lying. And, and so you still do that, okay, right? But it's like, no, you see this book, and you're like, man, how am I going to do that? Small, daily, consistent habits, 10 pages a day, five chapters. Pick, pick, your, you know, pick your route. But that's how you finish the Bible. That's how you finish it. I look at a house, right? And for me, this is like, I look at this construction guy. I'm like, no, no problem. Why? Because they have a rhythm. But when I look at dirt, I go, that's just dirt. That's a lot, okay? And I have no idea how that's going to become someone's dream house. But they know it's a foundation. They frame it. They bring in piece by piece by piece. And there's a process and there's a rhythm and there's a habit, and each of these crews knows exactly what to do to get to an end product. And it looks intimidating, it looks daunting, but when you break it down into small, consistent habits, it's attainable. So a theologian named uh, Jake, uh, sorry, G.K. Chesterton said this, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Friends, we've talked about this here at Oasis. If you've been with us at all in the past several weeks, you've, you've even heard me just a couple weeks ago preach on this idea of decision requires death. To make a decision, the, the root word comes from this idea means to cut off, to sever. And so to decide something is to die to a thousand other options. And so when we choose to follow Jesus, we are dying to ourselves and to other potential options. And we're saying, no, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And we are saying that, making that decision. And so we've talked about this a lot here. Discipleship is costly. This is not just some easy thing that, oh, you follow Jesus, your whole life gets better. Everything's going to sunshine and rainbows. No, no, no. Discipleship is costly. It is difficult to die to yourself, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow him. 
And so we've talked about this as something that's not unfamiliar to us. Discipleship is a difficult process. It's one of pain. It's one of dying to self. It's one of, of pruning and, and being cut back and removing these pieces and parts of us that don't look like Christ. And, and it's a, a painful process. And not only do we have to let God prune us, but the body of Christ, we are, they're a part of this cultivation and pruning process. And so it takes faith and trust to let a community around you begin to point out things. Hey, you prefer Confess this, you say that you're a Christian, but you're not living it in this way. And allowing people to speak into your life and be a part of that pruning process. Elders and, and pastors and people in your life and leaders and, and people in your community groups, right? People that are around you to speak into you. It, it, is, it is part of the pruning and cultivation process. And, and hear me, ultimately, discipleship, it takes discipline. It, it, it takes discipline. The word disciple comes from a Latin word meaning student. A disciple is, and I'm going to make up a word here, a disciple is a studier, right? It's a studier. The word discipline is a Latin word meaning, uh, it's the Latin word disciplina, which means instruction and training. It's derived from the same root word. So this idea is that, friends, you cannot be a disciple without discipline. It's not possible, you have to have discipline to be a disciple. So for our text today, it's giving us insight into these holy habits, these spiritual disciplines, these small, everyday, consistent rhythms that the early church practiced. Let's, let's read our text again. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four things were central to the early church. These four things, these were the non-negotiables for them. They devoted themselves to teaching, to building community, to sharing meals and doing life together, to, 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 to taking communion and the Lord's Supper. This is, this is remembering what he's done for us. And last but not least, they devoted themselves to prayer, to intercession. This is the early church. This is what they were about. And in verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe and many Wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together. Somebody say together. And they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. There was unity. There was unity. They were not divided. They honored one another. They provided for those who lacked and had need. They lived lives of radical generosity. That, that is what marked the early church. These things, radical generosity like this, distributing to anybody that had need, sacrificially giving to the point where you had to sell some of your own things to take care of the needs of another, that's generosity that we can barely fathom. And so this is the way that they lived. They came together in verse 46. It says every day, someone say every day, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. And they broke bread from house to house. Listen, they came to the temple and man, they had church, okay? <laughs> they had church. Okay, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're doing their thing. Someone's going to teach. Like They're going to go to the temple and they're going to go through that process. But are they going to leave their faith there? No. They brought it with them. This was not just something that, oh, we go to the temple and that's where we worship, pray. No, no, no. They worshiped and they prayed at home. They went from house to house to house, breaking bread, sharing meals, doing life with each other, praying with one another. This is what marked the early church. 
And so we see this. They, they, they broke bread together. They, they brought their faith with them. And friends, this is one of the holy habits. I want to zoom in on just real quick is this idea of breaking bread from house to house because this in itself is a holy habit that you would commit to godly, life-giving community. This is not a solo mission. This walk with Jesus. Yes, your relationship with Jesus is personal and is private. No one can have that for you. But it is not meant to be just for you. You realize that, right? You realize that you are meant to live in community. What is the one thing that God said was not good? That man should not be alone. Man should not be alone. I'm going to send him a helper. It is not good that man should be alone. You were created to be dependent on others. You were created for community. God himself, he is three in one. This is the, the doctrine of the Trinity, this idea that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He himself is community all by himself. This is how you were designed. This is intentional by the Father. You were designed to live in community. You were designed to have to be dependent on God and dependent on others around you. That's why you're a part of a body. You are a member of a body. And each member has its purpose. And every person, listen, I know it's really hard to take help. It's really hard to be vulnerable. But that's part of being a part of the body. It's part of it. It's a holy habit to commit to godly, life-giving community. But the early church did it. They, they, it says that here that they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Verse 47 says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to the number, to their number, those who were being saved. And I love this. Because if you want to talk about a church growth strategy, that's ours. The Lord adds to his church daily. It's God. And if he's not adding to our church, the question that you and I need to look around at each other and begin asking is, why is God not adding to our church? And so we're going to position ourselves to reach every single, listen, the mission of this church will not end until the entire valley looks like heaven. Until Boise looks like heaven, the mission of Oasis City Church is not over. We exist to know God and to make him known. So we're going to encourage, equip, and empower people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we're going to release you to go and do that in your circles, in your spheres, in the places where God has given you influence. Listen, we want to see this church grow because we want to see people reach for the kingdom of God. We want to see lives transformed, families restored, relationships healed. We want to see people that are on a trajectory and a path going to hell redeemed and reconciled and made right with God. That's what we want at Oasis City Church. And so I want you all to be a part of that with us. Believers who, who have lived their lives Minding their own business, they, they adopted this new practice in the early church. They adopted a way of remaining in ongoing relationship with accountability, growth, and a place where needs could be met of their community. And so maybe this is something you've already committed to. Maybe you've grown up around church, you've been in some kind of small group before, and you've been in community, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you're a person who's like just walked in here, maybe you're brand new to church, this idea of smaller groups or community, uh, or just even just this overall type of community where you have this consistent rhythm of going to a place and gathering with other believers. Maybe this is, maybe this is new for you. Maybe this is different. I just would like to challenge you. Hey, your healthiest self is found in community. And your, your, your healthiest time of walking with Jesus is not going to be when you're solo. It's going to be in community. When you are living a life plugged in with other believers that can sharpen you, walk with you, keep you accountable. Come on, help you grow in these holy habits.
How many of you know it's a lot easier when you have a partner, someone with you to walk through something? Come on, let's be honest. Who's still going after your New Year's resolutions? Who's going strong? Okay, who quit January 12th? Okay, thank you for being honest, my two friends in the back here, right? And, and when you have someone, though, that's walking with you, like, for example, my guy Jordan's over here. Jordan and I go to the gym. Jordan's the only reason I go to the gym, okay? Listen, if Jordan texts me and says, hey, bro, I'm not going, guess what I'm not doing? Going to the gym. So, so, so the process is that when you have people that are keeping you accountable, come on, iron sharpens iron. But it's a painful process. It's not always easy, but it's easier than it is to do it on your own. And, and so I'd like to challenge you today, walk out with other believers. Walk out with other believers, community. Walk out these practices in community. And you may be asking, like, how do I find community, though? Like, truly, like, I know I'm here in the room, but how do I find community? Well, let me tell you this. This is something we're getting ready to do here at Oasis City Church. We've been working hard behind the scenes and building an infrastructure uh, for groups. And so what we want to be able to do, because obviously God has has done a tremendous work and he's growing our church, and what we want to do is we want to make opportunities for it to feel smaller and for there to be places where you can dive in deep with people. Come on. What, what I've learned is this. It takes a few minutes to really get into deep conversation. How many of you know that on average, it takes seven minutes to get past the small talk to actually get into a true and authentic conversation with somebody, which means in the 25 minutes, you may be able to connect with one or two people to, at, on any sort of, even a generally starting to get deep level. Most of the time, it's going to be, man, can you believe it snowed last week? No, me either. It was 80 degrees on these. It's like super general. How many of you want to go deeper than that? How many of you want some authentic, real friends in your life that you can go there with, go the distance with? You can challenge each other. You can encourage each other. You can get real. You can bear your heart and soul. Say, man, I'm struggling right now. Our marriage is struggling right now. I'm having a hard time with our kids. We're doing, you know, you can get real with some people and let them pour into your lives. It takes depth. And so we want to create opportunities for depth. So in the next few weeks, please be on the lookout because we're going to begin to roll out uh, some of our strategy for groups and we're going to give you a launch date for groups. I'm really excited about that. We'll announce that next week. But we want to create opportunities for you to plug in with community, to go deep, to share meals with, to share wins with, to celebrate, but also, yeah, to share the hard times and the burdens and have other people carry that with you and to pray for you and to walk with you. And honestly, people that you can help create these, these holy habits with, that you can maintain them with, you can live them out with. But we truly believe this idea of having these smaller, intentional community, uh, it's not only going to be a major benefit to your walk with God and your journey of growing in these holy habits that we're talking about here, but I believe God is really going to still use these groups to even add to his church. You know, because how many you know God uses Sunday morning experiences all the time to reach people when they come in, but no one else he uses is home groups. He, he uses homes. How many of you know there's some people that wouldn't want to come into a situation like this on their first opportunity to be reached for Jesus? They're not going to walk in our church, but they might come over to your house and, like, hang out for a barbecue. They may, came over, they may come over and, like, hey, man, just so you know, I got a guy who's going to be sharing a story today, and we're going to pray because, you know, we believe in God, and I just would love to, but love to have you over. We're just going to have some burgers. We're hanging out. Some people will accept that invitation long before they accept an invitation to church, and some people are the opposite. Some people would accept an invitation to church, and they'd rather come in, sit in the back, and just kind of like see how it is before they really plug in. But we want to create opportunities for both, and we believe God will use both to add people to his church. And so it's going to allow us this place to, to ask hard questions, to wrestle through them as a group, to, to really dive deep in community. 
Uh, and I think it's going to be a beautiful gift to not just this body, but uh, the body in general here in the valley. And I believe uh, it's a practice that God has commanded us to do. We see it in the early church. We see this as a, a habit. It's a ritual. It's a practice to go from house to house and to meet. And so the early church was three things. They were devoted, they were sincere, and they were disciplined. They were devoted, they were sincere, and they were disciplined. And changing habits of all kinds brings about change, right? We, we discussed a couple different routes you could take in general for habits. They, they all lead to change, but spiritual and biblical habits and practices of the early church, these things that they have practiced for centuries, it, it has never been about behavior modification. Like that's not, the, obviously like that is a part of it, but it's not the goal. The goal is not behavior modification, it's spiritual transformation. That's, that's the goal, is that God would transform us from the inside out. And spiritual di- disciplines, they will transform you as we abide in him, as we put into action these areas that he told us to grow in. What we're going to see is that we will be transformed by these practices, that our spiritual lives, listen, if you feel stu- uh, stuck, if you feel dull, if you feel stale in your walk with God, watch as you start to implement these habits. Watch as you become a person of prayer, a person of the word, a person that understands worship, a person like that lives out sacrificial generosity, a person that, that does these things. When you start to live in this way and you follow these rhythms of a healthy disciple, watch as your relationship with Jesus comes alive. Watch as God begins to use these things in your life to bring you and make you more like him. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be diving into practices, like I said, like prayer, worship, the word of God, daily devotion, sacrificial generosity, all these things, communal living. But I want to challenge you each week to adopt something new. Every week, I want to challenge you to, to, to make the change through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not on your own, just like trying to work harder, but inviting the grace of God, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and inform you and to help you take those hangups in your life. Because come on, we all got hangups take those hangups and replace them with these holy habits. That is the goal in this series. And so I, I really believe this. Here's some handlebars um, for you today as we get ready to close. Again, this is more of the introduction. And next week, we're going to dive into prayer. Come on, somebody is going to be good. And I'm really excited about it. But, but I want to give you some handlebars for today. In order for us to see long-lasting, legitimate spiritual transformation and change, we have to do the work. And part of the work is evaluation. We have to ask ourselves who so when it comes to spiritual transformation, write this down. You have to ask yourself, who do I want to be transformed into? Maybe you're a believer, you're in the room, you've been a believer for a long time. You may just say, hey, I want to be a patient and intentional father. I want to be a better mom. Maybe it's I want to be a better friend, a life-giving, Jesus-devoted friend. Maybe, maybe it's I want to be a kingdom-minded legacy maker. I, I want to actually use the gifts, use what God has given me to make an impact for his kingdom. And I want to be informed on how to do that. Maybe it's you don't know Jesus and you're like, no, I just want to be, I want to learn. I want to follow Jesus. I want to come out on the other side of this. Uh, truly a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And you also have to know why though. Why do you want to be transformed? Is it to break the generational cycles that have ravaged your family for years? Is it, is it to starve the sin struggle in your life, these things that you can't seem to get over that keep tripping you up? Is it to become an apprentice of Jesus? Is it to be an example for your children? Is it to, to live the abundant life in Christ that he's promised us? What is your why? What's your why? And, and if you're taking notes today, I want to invite you just to maybe spend a few moments writing out here in a moment. We're going we're gonna to go into the time of worship, and we're just going to let the band play. And a little different today, I'm going to invite you. You can stay seated this time or stand up. If you want to stand up and worship, it's awesome. If you want to stay seated, I, I would invite you to take some time to be reflective today. 
begin to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Ask him to show you where you have those hangups, where you have some bad habits and how you can replace him with holy habits. What are the things that he wants to work into you? And that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna reflect. We're gonna take a moment. We're gonna ask God to come and transform us spiritually. We're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to try to come and have his way in our hearts and to begin to speak to us. And over the next few weeks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really try to help you with the what, because the what are these practices, right? These, these habits that will help us as we begin to integrate them into our everyday lives and, and really come out on the other side of this with, with change. But I gotta say this, friends, being transformed first starts with recognizing that you have a need to be transformed. It starts with recognizing that you, you are broken. All of us are sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You may have come in this morning, maybe you walked in here for the first time and you're like, man, I'm so broken. I'm, I'm not a good person. I've done so many things wrong. Well, look around. You got a lot of broken people sitting right next to you. You got broken people on this stage. You got a broken person right here speaking to you. We're all broken. We all come into this world in sin and we all owe a debt of death for our sin. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So if you came in today and you're like, man, I'm just so broken, I've done so much wrong. Can I tell you, you've not done enough wrong to separate yourself from the love of God. The love of God, the grace of God is sufficient for you, friend. And I want you to know that you're in the right place, surrounded by people that understand what it's like, understand what you're going through. I want you to know that there's a God that loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross that really we deserve to die on. He sent his only son to die on a cross and pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin so that we didn't have to pay the penalty so that we could be made right with God, so we could be reconciled and put into right relationship again. And this is not something that you earn or something you deserve. This isn't about like, you know, your behavior. This is about putting your faith in Jesus, confessing with your mouth and believing your heart in what Christ has done on the cross for you. And so what I wanna do is I wanna invite anyone who's in here today, maybe you walked in for the first time, maybe you've been here for a few weeks or a while and you're just like, man, something's happening in my heart. I feel a stirring. I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit. And I wanna invite you to place your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sin, which the word repent, I know that's a churchy word. What that means is to turn away from going towards sin and you turn towards Jesus and you turn towards Christ. And so if that's you, you wanna turn away from sin, from your mistakes, from your shortcomings, you wanna be made new, you wanna be forgiven and, and made whole and you wanna to begin to follow Jesus, I wanna invite you to, to say yes to a relationship with him today. And so what I wanna do with every head bowed and every eye closed across the room, I'm gonna ask that in just a moment you would raise your hand saying, that's me, I wanna be made right with God. And now here's the deal. This is not what saves you. It's your confession, it's your belief, and it's following him, truly living a life of obedience to Christ. But, but it's, it's, it's nothing it's about the hand raise that saves you. But what I would like to do is know who I'm praying for. I'd like you just to signal, yeah, that's me. I, I, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna begin to follow him. And so I'm gonna ask on the count of three, if you know you're not right with God and you wanna be made right with God, you wanna put your faith in Christ turn away from your sin. If that's you, on the count of three, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three, if that's you. It's awesome. I see you. Yeah, I see you in the middle. 
left in the back right. It's awesome. Hey, keep it up for just one second so I see you. Thank you. See you in the middle in the back. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to ask that we all pray something together. No, there's nothing special or magical about this prayer. It's simply a heart declaration saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And I'm going to ask us as a church, as a family, let's pray this together. Just say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I ask for your forgiveness. I turn away from my sin. And I thank you for your forgiveness. Take my life and do with it whatever you want to do. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and allow me to walk with you every day from this point forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, someone say amen. Amen, let's celebrate that. That's awesome. Let me say this, that is the greatest decision you could ever make. And if you just said, yes, I wanna put my faith in Jesus, I'm gonna give you two things to do. Number one, we have a gift for you, just a book that's gonna talk about following Jesus, what it means, because this is not a journey you're meant to go on alone. You're supposed to walk with other people, right? And we wanna walk alongside you, we wanna equip you and empower you uh, to live a life of following Jesus, because it's so much more than a hand raise, it's every morning raising your hand, every day saying, God, I'm gonna follow you today. I'm gonna live my life for you. And so we want to walk with you and give you a gift. So stop by the Next Steps counter. But the second thing would be get baptized. You can talk to our Next Steps people about getting baptized. We'd love to walk you through that, talk with you about that. But we're going to stand in just a moment and worship. And for some of us, we're going to sit and be reflective. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, show us our hangups, and help us grow in these holy habits. So we're going to get ready to worship, but let me just pray for us. Holy Spirit, I, I just ask that you would come and, like David, we say, search our heart for any iniquity. Holy Spirit, would you just begin to move in this place? Would you begin to speak to us? God, I pray every distraction would be ceased in the name of Jesus. Every toxic thought pattern, every voice that's not yours, God, would you, would you silence and still them now? Would you open us up, God, just to hear from you? We want to know your heart, God, for this series, this heart for our growth personally, God. Help us to see the hangups in our life. Help us to build these holy habits. Lord, we want to just take a moment just to be reflective and just thank you for all you've done. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you love God, just say amen. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.